Here's Schaub. Play fake. Looks. Guns. End zone. That is caught. Touchdown, Austin Hooper. You're listening to Falcons Audible, presented by AT&T. And good morning from Flowery Branch. I am Matt Tabeek, joined by Dave Archer, DJ Shockley. Yep, we in here. Fellas, good morning. Uh, We need to just jump right in uh, to this 27-20 loss uh, by the Falcons to Seattle Seahawks yesterday. Uh, The Falcons now are 1-7 and and have now lost six straight games heading into the bye week. Um, It was unusual yesterday, too. Dave, the owner, came out after Dan Quinn's uh, press conference and just said, you know, um, he's extraordinarily disappointed. Um, No surprise there. Um, But once again... It, it feels like a broken record. The The Falcons played really well for a half, but fell behind in that first half. And it's kind of been a story all season long being outscored in the first half. Yeah, it really has been. Uh, I think the complimentary football that Coach Quinn keeps talking about just doesn't seem to come together for 60 minutes. And for whatever reason, it's happening most of the time in the first half. Uh, I thought that uh, defensively, you started the game okay. You you forced them into some situations where they tried to convert. You ultimately forced a field goal. This was an offense that you knew you were going to have to try to stop the run. Um, I thought that was the focal point. That was my key on the radio was you've got to limit Chris Carson and then ultimately Russell Wilson, who's kind of the, the complementary part of that run game. They were averaging about 130 yards coming into the game. Can you find a way to limit that and make Russ make some plays from the pocket? Uh, ultimately, you didn't do that in the first half in the run game. Got a good stop to start the game. But ultimately, they began to get the run game going. And after looking at the tape shock, I thought that based on what I saw, I thought we were overly aggressive and and really played out of control in the first half defensively. I thought that was the ultimate reason for a lot of the run gaffes, if you will, not gaps, but gaffes, I mean, yeah. mistakes in the run game, misfitting the run yeah. because they were out of control on some plays. Maybe charged the inside, gave the cutback lane, that edge. I just thought that that really plagued them. They settled down in the second half and played much more discipline and subsequently kind of owned the line of scrimmage in the second half. And uh, you took the words kind of out of my mouth when I look back at the run game and what was successful for them. And I think you can point back to three or four different times where they had that cutback run where they wanted to keep it play side but for some reason, maybe it was the backside end that got too far upfield, worrying about maybe Russell Wilson coming back on the bootleg or uh, a guy just not squeezing enough on the backside. And they had that cutback three or four times that ended up being, you know, huge gains for them. And when you got two backs that rush for over uh, four and a half yards of carry, it's going to be a tough sled for you all throughout the ball game. So I thought – our inability to be able to stop the run in key spots uh, were big. Uh, I know the second half was a, a hold on the story. You did a good job there. But uh, when you're down 24 nothing at halftime and you're having to fight that uphill battle, it makes it tough on you every single time. But uh, when a team is able to use their run game to kind of take the air out of the ball game, it's tough to kind of overcome. And they did a lot of that, especially in the first half, uh, allowing you not to – uh, catch them in third and long situations. There weren't a lot of situations where Russell Wilson had to be the extra key guy to make a guy miss here and there. Yeah, he made a couple of plays here and there when he had to, 
but for the most part, that run game kept them honest, and Russell Wilson didn't have to uh, crush you in the pass game as he has done throughout this season. I thought their game plan helped kind of the Falcons get in their situation, if I can say it that way, in the first half. They game planned and they pinned, did a really good job of pinning the edge defender, whether it was on the cutback or whether it was play side where they pinned the edge defender. Atlanta has not been very good perimeter tackling team. The corners have not tackled very well this year. I mean, I think all of us would agree with that. I mean, Isaiah, I thought Isaiah Oliver may have had his best game Mm -hmm. of the year this year in coverage. But we still got outflanked in the run game some because you took the wrong angle to get inside and ultimately become that last line of defense from an edge player. I thought they did a nice job a couple of times. They caught Atlanta in man coverage. Uh, one play I can think of, they pitched the ball to the left side to Rashad Penny, and Penny got to the edge. They used the wide receiver to pin Tack McKinley to the inside. Tack yeah. was blocked down to the inside. And so the cover guy for that receiver is Sheffield. And Sheffield didn't immediately respond and fill. He kind of played it soft, and ultimately it was about a 15-yard play. About that time, they got guys coming around there kicking you out, all kind of stuff. So So that was like one play, but I thought they did a good job, too, on the backside as that backside end, as Shock was talking about, crashed. They pinned him down to the inside where now you're one-on-one with a secondary defender, which is a lot of times the corner. So I thought their game plan helped facilitate some of it. I thought we were a little bit reckless defensively. That settled down in the second half, though. They made some adjustments. They played much more sound defensively, and I think that's why you had an opportunity to get back in the game because you got the ball back. To your point, Dave, uh, 130 yards on the ground, the Seahawks rushing yards came in the first half of their 151. So they did almost all of their damage in the first half in running up that score 24 nothing. Uh, and for the season now, the Falcons have been outscored 144 to 50 mm. in the first half. A, a differential, yeah, differential of 94 points. It's, it's, it's cliche. You say start fast, but for this team, it has been an Achilles heel for sure. And you think about how you've had to overcome it in the second half of a lot of games. You've had to play with a sense of urgency to try to get back in the ball game. When, and I'm sure they, they talk about it every single week. It's something that – it's not something that they're new to or they say, hey, we want to, you know, get going later on. They want to start fast, too. I mean, we saw it a couple weeks ago where Coach Quinn takes the ball first. I mean, mm-hmm. there is an initiative to try to go out and start fast, but it's been your Achilles heel not to be able to do that. Well, and you look at the stats in the league, and if you fall down 14 points in the game, eight out of ten times you're not coming back to win the football game. I mean, there's stats that are league-wide. If you get down two touchdowns, that to overcome that in the National Football League, because now you're essentially playing behind the score, right? right? If they continue to match, there's no way you can get back, even if they kick a field goal and you score a touchdown. So uh, th- that hole you're digging for yourself early in the game has been daunting just from a statistical standpoint, let alone the reality of the fact that you've been down in four of the eight games, you're down by, what, 17 points in the first half in yes. four of the eight games? 17-plus, yes. I mean, it's just it, – it's and then there's that feeling, overwhelming feeling. As much as we try to fight it as players, you're thinking, wow, here we're in the same hole again? <laughs> yeah. And you don't have any really good memories of erasing it. So it would be one thing if you came back and erased it a couple of times and you – and you did. You, you you came back against the who was it? The Cardinals. Yeah. But 
you haven't done it enough to where you think, okay, well, we got this. We're okay. As much as you try to convince yourself that, you look up and think, wow, here we are again. And as far as the memory goes, the home fans have watched the Falcons be outscored 61-10 to 10 in six straight quarters at home. So mm. a couple of things you guys said, you know, and I, I, I want to jump on, too, before we move on. Isaiah Oliver did play, I think, much better coverage-wise mm-hmm. in that game. He had the pass breakup in the right corner of the end zone, saved a touchdown, and came back the very next play, forced the receiver out of bounds, uh, and broke up a pass there. It was... They took a couple of shots at him. They wanted to isolate him, and he got isolated on the inside fade, right Mm -hmm. as you said. He turned, located the ball, batted it down, and then the next play, the quick out where he's in the guy's face. Now it's a catch, but he forced the guy out of bounds, Mm -hmm. so it's incomplete. And then he had another play. It was an inside fade on the other other side, side, up the sideline. There was some hand fighting that went on, but it was incomplete. He knocked the receiver to the ground. So, yeah, if you start looking for things where guys are improving, Oliver's got – tremendous athleticism yeah. so you like to think that he's improved right yeah you saw those long arms all the things that you know made him attractive as mm-hmm. a second round pick you're starting to see it's granted it's not as fast and as quick as our falcons fans would like to see but he is you feel like you're seeing progress he's been strong in the run support at times this year and you know it was good to see a little bit of progress in, in the in the coverage area. So. Yeah, here's what people have to remember too is this guy is this is his second year. Yeah. And you think about last year, he was a spot duty special teams guy. He got some time near the end of the year. But this is his first time really playing down in and down out, rep in and yes. rep out, and he has to learn in game action. Where mm-hmm. a lot of guys can be hit, a lot of guys uh, can slowly make make their way in a, a ball game, but he has had to play that other side as soon as Alfred was gone, you're the guy. And now he's getting every single rep. He's playing outside. He's playing inside. Like you talked about, those two inside fade routes are hard to cover because as a quarterback, we have so much room to throw that football in that space over there, and the receiver is looking for the ball. Sometimes the defensive back, he doesn't look to the very end. So him doing a great job of not panicking at the top of it is where I think he's improved the most because it's so easy to grab a guy or to just run into him right at the point of attack, but well, he's done a good do job. It. We've seen him and do it. Right? Yeah, and he's yeah, made and improvements on yeah, that. and yeah. he's done exactly yeah. that. He had some issues with his technique uh, beginning in the pre- uh, preseason. He even said so. You know, I've been my, – my technique was off, and I got out of position. I grabbed high. I got called. I deserved it. Um, but the other thing you see with Oliver, too, just to kind of close the book on him is – for today is – the body language is there. The confidence is there. You, you still see. So that's good to see with him, too. Um, and then just the other, you know, we talked about the cornerbacks, young cornerbacks. Kendall Sheffield, I thought, played. He, he did. I thought you couldn't have had better coverage on Lockett on a couple of those completions. Yeah, a couple of those just dumb. Just dumb. And just. Yeah, you had to tip your hat. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the, 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 one, the, the second catch. catch he makes is by one with one hand. Unbelievable. I mean, so, the, the accuracy from Russell Wilson was pretty cool. Yeah. There is a quarterback. I know oh, yeah. you appreciated that shock. He dropped the ball right in on him. And so, other than knocking the ball away, Sheffield couldn't have done anything else. And that's one of those deals where you just kind of tip your hat and say, exactly. hey, heck of a heck of a play by Lockett. Now, ultimately, when you look up and you see Lockett had over 100 yards receiving, that's not a that's not a win. But I do no. like that he took on the challenge. He was handed that. And he said – Coach Quinn said, you got Lockett today in man coverage, <laughs> and he took it on and, and ultimately didn't win, but I think he'll be better for it. Again, a young quarter. Let's, and the thing, I don't know what's going to happen 
as we unfold as far as, what, as, far as the, the, what happens the with this team yeah. and what happens with the hierarchy of the team. We don't okay. know. Okay, no, we don't we have don't any know. insight. We don't know about that. But I do know that these players are going to be back. Yeah, Sheffield isn't going anywhere. Oliver's right. not going anywhere. And so, as a fan, you gotta begin to hang your hat on. Am I seeing progress with guys individually that are going to be a part of my team next? You can't cut everybody. Yeah, there's going to be some turnover on this team, but a lot. Most of these guys are going to be back, and some of these young guys were highly regarded guys. Oliver Sheffield were highly regarded guys that would have been drafted by somebody else had they not been picked here. Yeah. So you're looking for that incremental improvement for them to be factors for you as you move down the road. And here's something that I want to point out. I don't know if people can watch um, Falcons pregame show uh, we do on CW69. And Arch has a sit down. Shameless. 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 Oh, man, I didn't know. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, (laughs) Arch does a sit down with a player every single week. And this past week it was with Isaiah Oliver. And the mentality – I think is what's most important from a corner is what he spoke about with you. And you asked him about you're a Quinn's guy, you, you're a guy, especially about all the noise that's, that's heard on the outside. And I thought it was so cool him just being able to hyper-focus on what's most important. And, of course, he didn't lie about it. He said, yeah, I mean, some of that stuff, you hear it. It creeps in. But at the end of the day, I can only control what I do. And the fact that he is in a space where he knows day in and day out he has to go and get better in his craft, I think, is what's most important, whether it's physically or mentally. I think he understands that role. And it's pretty, it was pretty cool to see him be able to – because I had never heard him speak in that way. So it was pretty cool. So we established that the, the Seahawks definitely wanted to come out and run the ball. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and the Falcons' defense, you said, it was aggressive. Do you think part of that too, Dave, was because just of what Russell Wilson brings to the table with his mobility? Do was, was was the attempt there to kind of just kind of corral him a little bit more, and then they took advantage of their they're pretty big up front, and so they you know they took took advantage of that too to kind of okay you're gonna come hard we're gonna push up the up the middle a lot of those runs were between the tackles yeah this was the first team that I saw pushes around in the middle in the run game and you know when you took a take a look at those two guards on the interior one was three thirty in a potty and and Fluker's about three forty yeah. uh, they lost their center uh, their center went early down K- Britt yeah. went down early for the year Hunt came in uh, Britt's six six about three twenty himself he went down and they brought in Hunt their backup center who's a smaller player at three hundred pounds but they did a nice job of of creating some push in the middle um, and. and and making life tough on the two defensive tackles, which in turn makes life tough on the two linebackers. If you can't eat up blocks, now Devondre and Dion are not going to be nearly as effective. Um, I, di- I didn't think that th- it was an overly good game for them in the first half. I thought that they misfit some runs. I thought there was some missed tackles. But they did settle down in the second half, and I thought that – I talked to Tyler Davidson post game. And he talked about, I said, what would you do at halftime? Because it was a different-looking group, and they played more zone. They watched things. They attacked uh, when they needed to, but they, they played their positions tougher. He says, we just, we just settled down. We, did, we were a little bit overly hyped for the game maybe or just kind of got it, ran ourselves out of position on some plays. They were more aggressive with man coverage in the secondary. Linebackers were committing a little bit more to the edge of the line of scrimmage. And so, yeah, Russ probably had a little bit to do with that. But ultimately, you know, Carson was the number one concern, and, and he got off in the first half. And here's something to remember about Russell Wilson is 
he's a guy that doesn't really – he doesn't want to run, but if you force him, then that's where he becomes special. And mm-hmm. I think the Falcons understood in the second half – this guy wants to be inside the pocket. He wants to throw the football from inside the pocket. And if you, like Dave said, if you rush at a a level where he he stays in your eyesight, but you don't get too far upfield, but you still can push from the middle, which is what happened when you got the sack with Grady and all that kind of stuff. They had good angles at the top, and then they pushed from the middle. Those are spots where I think as a defense you understand and you start to hone in on what you can do and how you go about – how you go about really just stopping certain guys. And in that second half, you can see the game plan was different, um, but it all predicates on those guys on the outside being able to lock down uh, the receivers too. Three short field opportunities too, guys, led to kind of your lot in life in just, this. Okay. Just about to bring up the – Yeah, your special teams hurt special you, teams. and I know it's missed field goals, but it's still a special teams operation, so you trust to go out and try to bang one through. And Matt missed two 50-plus yard field goals. Now it's a decision to do that. And then ultimately you have to execute it. But you had the interception where uh, Shabby made a mistake on an RPO where he should have handed the ball off, threw it, Kendricks picked him off. That was a 46-yard field. And then he had two missed long field goals. One made it a 57-yard field and I think a 59-yard field. So half the field essentially on their three touchdown drives. If they start those drives at their 25 or their 20, they've got to get two or three more first downs to just get to the starting point where they're at. And that gives you those opportunities, those maybe two or three more opportunities to get them off the field. I think that was significant in the first half to kind of paint you into that hole. Turnovers um, were costly again. It's It's been, you know, they get down. So we just hammered home the, the fact that once you're down by even 14 points and they've been down multiple times, 17, this time 24, yet they, they continue to, to scrap and they fought back, Dave, and uh, – but the turnovers, you know, the one interception by Schaub ultimately led to a touchdown, putting them up 17-0. Um, there was a fumble right before the half. Nothing really happened. That didn't really matter because the half ended. But then the big one, I thought, was Devonta Freeman's fumble yeah. um, down inside. Uh, I think it was down. It was recovered at the – They get it. They got recovered at the one, the one and ran it to the five. By Bobby Wagner, they right? They turned it to the five. Yeah, and that that resulted in uh, a 54-yard field goal. So they got points off of that one too. So there's 10 points off that. But I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it would have been a one-score game if they punched it in there. You just can't – you can't continue to lose the turnover battle and get down. That's been a big, big problem. And I think they're either at the bottom of the league or near the bottom when it comes to that turnover differential. Well, I mean, you, you look you just, at it – yeah, and that's you, something they preach. Absolutely, just, ball ball is one of the number one is the is one of the core pillars of what uh, Coach Quinn talks about the value of the ball, both taking it away and and protecting it. This year we have not taken it away, and we've not done a very good job of protecting it. And Devonte, you know, you like the effort, but you've got to understand I cannot expose the football in that situation. You score there now; it's twenty four to eighteen. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you're a one score down and, and you're back in the football game after really being dead and gone in the first half. So uh, it's it, it's kind of that double-edged sword. You love his effort and his fight, but he's got as a veteran player, understand, i got to protect the ball. It's just a, it's a bad play by him. Uh, he'd be the first guy probably to tell you that, I'd like to think. Uh, now it was 
if you want to argue whether he's down or not. You can't put it in that situation where they have to make a decision, right? Protect the football. We're on the two-yard line probably, first and goal, or second and goal. It was a first down play. It was first and goal, for, I think, from the eight-yard line through the, through the check down route. Yeah. Now it's second and goal from the two. I like our chances of getting in there, yeah. you know. So it's just a bad play. And when you dig yourself a hole, you can't make any more mistakes. You can't <laughs> yeah. do anything. You've already – created a problem now you gotta play really clean no penalties no turnovers and they just can't get out of their own way that's the part where the falcons have struggled uh from my point of view is when you're not executing at the level that you expect to execute at and early in the year it was all about the penalties and you've gotten better with the penalties but when you're struggling as a team you cannot have the bigger things happen to you like turnovers execution is a big part of it. You haven't been executing. You've had guys in certain spots that should be there, and guys are not making plays. And then you talk about penalties and turnovers coming all in one. Something you have to be good at. You can't you can't have all those things happen mm. to you and expect to be a good football team. And the Falcons have struggled in those areas throughout the entire season. And if you culminate all that into one game, you can expect to win a ball game. I mean, Dan Quinn said it a number amount of times. Is, you know, if you lose the turnover battle, there's numbers that tell you you're not going to win the ball game. But then if you couple that with, okay, we've had seven or eight penalties in bad spots, or you have guys not executing when everything is going your way, and you have opportunities to get off the field, or you have opportunities to catch a football for a first down, or you have an opportunity to block a, a guy who's right in front of you and you don't do it, you can't have all those things happening to you at one time in a ball game and expect for things to go your way and win ball games. One thousand four hundred and twenty one. That's how many days it had been since Matt Schaub started a football game. <laughs> uh he threw the ball fifty two times yesterday because he had to. Uh threw for four hundred and sixty yards. I thought he played pretty well. There was a, an interception and a near interception. But I thought, by and large, he gave them a chance, which is what you want. And all those readers and fans out there that question why Matt Schaub is the backup, I think he silenced everybody. We didn't need to silence or convince us. Right. But he came in and did what you want from a veteran backup yesterday. He gave the team a chance to win, to be competitive. Um, you know, we can pick apart some of his throws. I thought the offensive line, too, Dave, did a much better job this week. I Granted, they didn't have Aaron Donald and Dante Fowler, who you said we put in the Pro Bowl last week. <laughs> um, Certainly Fowler. Yeah. Um, uh, but they did a decent job of protecting. We couldn't run consistently. Yeah, and but, I, I, I think – I just that, wanted, I wanted to talk about Matt Schaub. No, I think, I think it's a great point, Matt, and I think that um, what happened here in this game, if you go back and look at the tape – uh, Shabby played even better than you think he did mm -hmm. because there were a lot of clean rushers that were hitting him in the mouth as he was letting it go. So, as much as as much as I'd like to as much as I'd like to say the offensive line was much better, Dirk had a great plan for this game. They tried to use play action, which is more blockers. In fact, we didn't even release Hooper into the pattern a couple of times so mm -hmm. he could stay in and protect to give Shab opportunities to throw the ball down the field. 
and he still got hit on some plays. Now, I thought that they were better. I think that's that's fair to say that they were better. I thought the backs did a pretty good job of trying to pick guys up. We had the tight ends help and pick things up. And Shabby did a good job of getting the ball out. But I thought Dirk's plan of using play action and then the quick passing attack. Shabby is really good at diagnosing out. what you're doing from a uh, scheme standpoint. We knew you were going to get the the kind of the zone coverage that 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 the Seattle Atlanta's kind of famous for. So you got to turn around's fair play. You got to take advantage of it, right? We've seen quarterbacks take advantage of us. He did a really good job of getting the ball to the slots, getting the quick outs, throwing the ball to the backs, quick getting the ball out of his hands, which frustrates pass rush, makes your offensive line feel better, and now all of a sudden you're getting all these different guys involved, really put you on your heels defensively. Yeah, that's something too that readers and and fans that and you casual fans that you know don't take time to to watch or and you, I get it, but what 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 makes Shab so good is pre snap is yeah. is you're pointing out, you don't get that with the Danny Atling. I understand fans <clears throat> love, got enamored with Danny Atling because he could run. He played really well in the fifth preseason game against Jacksonville, and there's a lot of people writing, why don't we play Danny Atling, especially if we can't protect. Because Matt Schaub can diagnose a defense, and he can beat you before he even gets the ball in his hands. And so that's really important to just process that. Think about that. Think about what an advantage he gives you and gets the ball out quick. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. No, it's a, it's a good point. And real quickly before you jump in here, Shock, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, pick whoever, Kyler Murray. Those guys would much rather throw the football Every than day. to run with it. All day. And if you've got a guy that can make those decisions and get it back out, that gives you that gives you opportunity, a much better opportunity to win. One thing I don't think people understand is how much Matt Shaw means to this offense. It's a reason why he's been around here for this long. A lot of people don't realize how much Matt Ryan leans on Matt Shaw in game, in preparation. Preach, brother. And the weekly uh, prep for a ball game, he leans on Matt Shaw a lot because this is a guy who. I've just been around a long time, but he understands the nuances of how that football should be out of your hand. And there are a lot of opportunities to throw the football down the field in this ball game. But Shab, knowing the soft coverage, knowing what a a defense is trying to do, before he is that back step, a lot of time he was checking it down. And you're checking it down, and here's free picking up another eight nine yards off just a simple two three yard check down. Those are some of the things that I think you forget about when you have a quarterback back there who is, you know, is really deliberate in what he's trying to do in, in the game plan. And Schaub is a guy I had a chance to be around in my first couple of years, smart as all get out. And I remember every week he would know the game plan back and front, front to back. He would know uh, just by formation what play the coach was about to call. So you're talking about understanding an offense to a degree of, Okay, I know what I'm doing, but he knows what the other team is doing before it even happens and then where to go with the football simply because he's been in this position before. If you ever watch Shabby during a ball game, he's always has his head, always has a helmet on where he can listen to the play, always got a ball in his hand, he's always processing, he's always going through the information of it. And I wasn't surprised to see this type of outcome in a ball game from Matt Shab and his ability to be able to still play at a high level and go out and give this team an opportunity to win the ball game. Yeah, we had him on the podcast this year, and we I asked him, I said, when when Matt's out there, how much do you try to, you know, grab his ear? And he, he said, you know what, he'll watch the defense. He knows Matt's looking at different things, so he'll try to focus on other things too. And if, and if he does see stuff, he said for sure. 
I go over there and tell them all the time. So it, it is like having another set of eyes. It's not kind of, it is. It's another set of eyes to see things and watch things that maybe Matt's reading something and Matt Schaub will watch something else at times and share that with him. And that's invaluable. Just so, yeah, I just, you know, I know we ultimately lost the game, but I just think that what he did uh, at 38 was, was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a say other, it's a other, third most yards thrown for by a guy his age, right? And you got to go to Manning and Brady, I think, are the only two guys that have thrown for over Peyton 400 Manning. yards at the age of 38 years old. That's Peyton, pretty good company yeah, to Peyton be Yeah, Peyton Manning threw for 479, Brady threw for 466. <laughs> pretty, mm-hmm. That's pretty co- pretty good company to be in. 39 completions is a franchise record. Uh, it's the second most yards in franchise history behind what Matt's 503, I believe he threw for against Carolina. Uh, a couple of years ago, back in, I believe, in the Super Bowl year. So, yeah, he actually threw for more once. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's amazing uh, to think. A pretty good performance uh, wow, by Shabby. Wow, that's a record. Coming, 39 completions. Wow. coming off Coming off of uh, – coming off the bench. And and I guess we probably should mention, too, Matt Ryan. That's the first time Matt Ryan has not started. I don't know if you've got that number, but that's since uh, December of 2009. Oh, is it 154 or something like that? It's – yeah. I'll I don't know how many days that is. I don't know if you've got Iron the day scenario. Oh. Beak, if you had the days, you would really just be. But right if you now. give me a few minutes, I can give you. It's been a long time. <laughs> but no, you think about 154 consecutive starts. That doesn't include postseason. Yeah. So you get all the postseason starts as well for Matt. But he missed a game in December. His last game was in December of uh, maybe the end of November of 2009. Mm-hmm. He hurt his foot early in a game against, against I think, against Tampa. And uh, Chris Redmond came in, and Redmond actually helped win that football game and then Atlanta lost two straight with Matt on the bench and then Matt came back and we beat the Jets in New York in 2009 10-7 on a Tony Gonzalez catch in the back of the end zone yeah it was 163 consecutive games fifth longest streak in NFL history bro your memory is crazy well dude I you know right there I've called every one of those games I I could say sitting right there so you know Julio, uh, Julio too had a quiet but productive day we I feel like we 152 yards, and if we're sitting here talking about milestones, uh, a six-player in league uh, annals history to have 30 career games with at least 125 yards receiving, joining Jerry Rice, 49 games, Randy Moss, 35, Marvin Harrison, 32, Lance Allworth, 30, and Isaac Bruce at 30. Is Isaac Bruce in the hall? He's not in the hall yet, is he? No. Those other guys all have a gold jacket. He had a quiet but productive day yesterday, Julio. Um, You know, the the area that bothered me, and I know we're kind of talking about guys that have improved and and how good Shabby played, and I know we're trying to kind of find some silver lining here, but ultimately you're one and seven, and we didn't stop the run the way we needed to in the first half. I. The part that's a little bit disturbing and a part that has to get fixed is we, we talked about some guys that have improved in the secondary, mm-hmm. but the inability to get lined up and then the, then the ability to diagnose routes and cover guys, that crept into this game. Mm. The first touchdown by DJ Metcalf, DK Metcalf, DK, yeah. uh, is a play up? where he runs a stick route and, and Casey's late lining up. And so I'm, I'm not saying it was his guy, but it's he's late getting over there, and he kind of overran the play. And all DK does is run a stick route, which is straight up the field, turn around at six yards and catch the Easiest football. Easiest one the you ever have, yeah. They line him up in the same formation, stack look, and communication. And you got Isaiah, and Isaiah Oliver, and KZ over there, and they miscommunicate who's going to run with the over route. 
And unfortunately, that's happened to them a number of times. And so Too as much. you begin to try to get better, we talk about communication. Q talks about communication all the time. If you're going to play man coverage, that's what <laughs> we want as quarterbacks on the goal line. We want you to play man coverage because now I can use all the tight formations and the rub routes, the stack releases where both guys both the same direction. One goes one way, one goes the other, and I can get defenders to run together it, diagn- it it happens quickly, yeah. so you can see it. Um, all those things are in the quarterback's in the quarterback's favor. It's something we have to get figured out and be better at. And and I, I'd like to think that the DBs, when they look at the tape today and they di- and then they digest it, they get better and take it with some earnest. That we we can't keep doing this over and over again to ourselves because. It's just it's an easy touchdown. It's easy plays. When well, I, fan, when, go ahead. I um, that's the exact same play that I broke down in this week's film session. And in that particular play, we talk about okay, if as a quarterback, you want to know man or zone. So they start to play out with the tight end way outside, and they bring him down. And obviously, Kamal Ishmael is outside, so they know okay, we got man coverage. So right now, Russell Wilson knows where are my man beaters. So they stack those receivers. And one goes out and one goes in. Now, in that particular moment, the DBs have to say, okay, is it in and out or is it complete man coverage? And when I say in or out, that means the outside defensive back, if he's outside leverage, anything that comes outside, I take him. Anything comes inside, which was Casey sitting on the inside, I take him. Now, we don't know the communication. If they said in and out, if the guy was to go man coverage all the way across the field, but that's the communication that has to happen at that particular moment that both guys are on the same page. Because if you look at the play, they start in that stack set. They don't move. So at the beginning of the play, you should be talking right then and there, this is what we're going to do. Not this when the play starts. And this isn't something really complex or complicated either. This is something that you're taught in high school. Well, it's, it's what teams do to you down there, especially if they know you're in man coverage. They're going to, well, like sir- said, get in those – man type of plays or formations that makes it tough for defenses to communicate it's certainly stuff you've repped in practice right when you practice red zone offense when you look at seattle in on tape prior our game they run a lot of tight sets okay so it's not a mystery so now as as shock's talking about if i'm casey and oliver going you know i know i know you know in and out in and out I, you know, and so I line up to the inside and I take it. Now, the way you beat that is you release receivers both the same direction. So, but they hadn't gotten to that point yet. Right, they didn't do that. They, yeah. That was their first foray into kind of splitting them and doing this. So one went out, one went in. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm the OC and I see that they covered it, now I'm going to release them both outside or both inside to try sure. to fight the, the, the in and out coverage. But still, there's just no diagnosis of that. And that's, that's killing them, especially down in the red zone when you really want to play man coverage. It, they didn't seem to have communication issues. I know there was there was a time last season where they worked on the communication, and um, you know it was documented. That, you know, Coach Coach Gwynn even had mics on players and stuff to make sure. But why now? Why these? You know, Casey's not a, a young young. Maybe he's a younger player, but why is it happening now? Why is why to this degree? Well, I I could speculate, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know right. that I don't know that it would be positive to speculate on <laughs> okay. it right now. So I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's just like you, just fans just want these aren't these aren't you know young players. Well, these uh, are the things we talked about though, as far as execution. Like that can't be something that's on the coach because it's something that you've 
practiced, you've repped, and it, when you get into a game, the players have to execute execute in that moment. So those guys have to communicate to each other. You don't have the coach standing behind you like you do in practice. Is it okay? Everybody know who you got. These guys just have to execute. At the end of the day, it's the old adage of do your job, and it just hasn't happened in certain moments. Well, when you see, I mean, on the one touchdown, there was nobody within 10, 15 yards of Metcalf, and he had a teammate trailing behind him about five yards who Russell could have picked one and thrown it to for an easy score. And so it's 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 frustrating from a fan's perspective, and it's just frustrating just to, to see these kind of continuous communication issues. Um one last bright spot I want to throw out there. I, I just want to mention his name was Brian Hill. I thought he came in, showed he was the story of training camp. He was the feel-good story. Worked a lot on, you know, he the one club in the bag he was missing was his pass receiving. Worked really hard about that. On that, Coach Quinn talked a lot about that, how he stayed after. Um, he's he's get, starting to get some opportunities because Ido Smith has is, is, is missed some time. And I thought he came in yesterday and showed, you know, he, he he looks physically like a different guy this year. And he showed that speed yesterday. He split two defenders on that one run. And I just, I don't know if we'll see more, but you you kind of, he's a guy that I I do kind of root for just because you just watch, you know, he was he practice squad, went to the Bengals, came back. He's kind of, he's dedicated himself. He loved to see those feel good stories and those guys kind of, yeah. you know, show on the field. He and did he's a nice one of those guys that's taken advantage of his opportunities. I feel You're like. right. He did a nice job on the run. Go back. If you want to go back and look at a run that's blocked as good as you can block it, go back and look at Brian Hill's touchdown run because the two tight ends that are lined up that side, Stocker and Hooper, Hooper do a great job of pinning defenders to the outside. Really good job by Jake Matthews to reach and get the end and get him hooked, Mack which means well. you they didn't weren't able to set the edge. Alex Mack gets up to the second level, gets on the linebacker, Bobby Wagner, yeah. and does a really good job. And there's a nice crease in there, and, and Brian hits it running downhill. And because he's a bigger-bodied guy, he's right. going to run through arm tackles, and he ran through the arm tackle about 10 yards down the field and shoved it in the end zone. Showed his speed, too. I thought he showed his quickness because safety defenders or secondary defenders are Come coming down, down yeah. to make the play. Yeah. He got to the pylon and showed his speed. I'd like to see him play more, to be quite honest Me with too. you. I'll be honest with you. I'd, I'd like to see Quadre Allison get some opportunities as well. I think that uh, you're to the point now where I think you need to look at some of those guys and see them play. I think what Brian Alla or Brian uh, Brian Hill brought to the table, I thought he did a really nice job of picking up Bobby Wagner on a play that I thought Shabby gave up on too early. There was a rush where Wagner came right through the gap, timed it perfectly. Hill stepped over, got him blocked. I thought Shab could have sidestepped him and thrown the ball up the field, but he felt like the edge rusher was coming too, so he thought, you know, let's protect the football here. I'll just take the sack and hate the football there. And that happens. But I think those two bigger body backs help you in protection too some. They both have shown they can catch the ball, as you just talked about, out of the backfield. It'll be interesting to see as we move forward. And and what does the the bye week have for us? What's the offing in the bye week? I think you begin to look at that scenario, and, and obviously you don't give up on the season, you got all your division games on the back end. And, yes, things, stranger things have happened where you can run through things. But Anything can happen. you still have to make sure that you understand who your roster is when the lights come on. And that means in game situations, okay, you're going to get the here, – here come – you're going to get an opportunity to play your division rival coming up here pretty soon in, in, in a team that's probably playing as good as anybody in the league uh, in, in the New Orleans Saints. I would – 
make a point of trying to get some of those guys some play time, not trying to make it a preseason game, but put them in meaningful moments. And let, like Brian Hill's moment the other day, that was a meaningful moment. He needed to make a play, and he did. He got blocking and made a play. Can Allison do the same thing? I think that you got a couple of, of backs that are kind of gems that are laying in the weeds that you might be able to take advantage of. You know what I loved about uh, Brian Hill, too? After he scored, I he, he, he was the ball, couldn't get it. On special teams, he was the first guy down the field. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Love that. Well, those are Is the that, value guys that you need. And I think, like you mentioned, him going from place to place, now being in the spot, I think he has a little second life about him and understands each moment. Especially and to Archer's point and your point as well is you got some guys who are hungry. You got some guys who want that time, and you never know what those guys can do until they're put into that time or put into that spotlight. And Brian Hill shined in that moment. Uh, there are probably some other guys who else probably could shine in that moment as well. But you got to see what you got, and there's a reason they're on this you know on this team right now because you feel in some way or some fashion, whether it's now or later, they can help you in a ball game. It was first game without Mohamed Sanu. Um, you know, in talking about the roster and making it better, that's one of the things they said. Look, at we're always looking at the roster, always looking long-term. They pulled the trigger on that deal. They got great value for them, second-round pick. And um, I thought the guys that played, you know, uh, in his place, you know, Russell Gage played well. Um, so that was good to see. You talk about young players. And that's exactly what some of the fans were writing in today, say, saying and asking, is it time, Dave, uh, that we do start looking at taking a longer look at the Jermaine Graces and the John Kaminsky. You know, I know John was uh, hurt his ankle, I think, yesterday. Um, we don't know the details of that. But, yeah, is it time to start seeing those guys? But is that too also a sign that, hey, you're not throwing the flag in, though. You're just, what, you're just trying to. Well, some of these guys are playing anyway. Yeah, yeah some, Kaminsky's that's what, that's getting snaps say, already. Yeah. Uh, Grace is not playing as much defensively. He has gotten some snaps. Aluakun's kind of that change-up linebacker special that teams. comes in. Yeah. But he is playing a ton of special teams. I'm talking about guys, when I say I need to look at some guys, Quadri Allison has been inactive all year long. So he's yeah. he's a guy that I'd like to see look. Now, Brian Hill uh, has been active inactive some, but because of the Edo Smith injury, he's up. And so he's got a chance to play. And when he got his opportunity, he took advantage of it. I think you begin to look at that. To, to echo your thoughts on what Russell Gage brought to the table, this was something that Thomas and, and Q saw in training camp. Mm -hmm. They saw it to begin to emerge that this guy is not just a special teams ace. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that has a chance to be a pretty good player at a receiver position. He goes and attacks the football. He's got a good feel for coverage. Uh, and he's not afraid to come over the middle to catch the football. And he did all that in this game, seven grabs for Russell Gage. And so when you move a guy like Sanu, there's got to be a plan attached to it. And obviously it was a firm plan in place by Q and by TD in this scenario. We really like Russell Gage. We're going to get something for Sanu, a second-round draft pick, because we're probably not going to be able to re-sign him. And Russell Gage is sitting here because we really like him. And so there was a plan to put him in the game. So I just, I just thought that the plan played out perfectly. Now, obviously, it doesn't help. It didn't. It didn't get you the win, but I do like what you got out of Gage. Yeah, they have confidence in him. Outside of Julio, he had second most targets. All right. Well, we got the Saints in two weeks, and uh, we'll be off. Obviously, we won't be back here uh, following the bye weekend, but uh, we'll be back after that Saints game. And uh, like you said, Dave, it uh, they they in San Francisco playing some very good football right now. Um, it's going to be interesting, but uh, 
it's also the NFL and anything can happen. So, um, let's hope, let's hope, uh, these next couple of weeks, um, some good things happen here. And, uh, as far as preparation and, uh, who knows, we go out and stun, stun the NFL world. It's going to do it. Thanks guys. This is Falcons Audible presented by AT&T.